Tonight's program is brought to you by the China Hockey Group. The CHG is a family-oriented group of ice hockey leagues, training programs, and community initiatives geared at developing ice hockey in Hong Kong and southern China. Established in 2011, the CHG is comprised of various programs for players of all levels. From the exceptional Junior Tigers program, the HKBN Island League, the Learn to Play and Learn to Skate programs, all the way up to their adult leagues, which include the SCIHL, for those looking for a fun recreational experience, and the CIHL, which is the only elite full contact adult hockey league. If you're looking for some hockey equipment, or if you even need your skates sharpened, stop by the CHG showroom in Central, an exclusive reseller of Warrior and Power equipment. For more information about their programs, check out their website at ChinaHockeyGroup.com. That's ChinaHockeyGroup.com. Before we get to today's episode, just a quick disclaimer, uh, there may be some sensitive topics discussed in this episode, so viewer discretion is advised. Hey, hockey fans, welcome to Across the Pond, Hong Kong's first and only hockey podcast. I'm your host, Chris Ivany, and I'm here with the great Barry Beck. He's making his return to the podcast. Uh, we just looked back. His The last time he was on the show was July 17th, 2020, so it's been three years, Barry. And a lot has changed since then. So, first of all, welcome back to the to the podcast. And uh, how have you how have you been doing? Yeah, thanks, Chris. Uh, nice to be back. Um, I've been doing okay. I have my struggles, like uh, most people my age do, especially yeah. for, former hockey players. Um, yes. I think once guys get over sixty years old, those aches and pains become more prevalent than they were before. But you just try and manage all that and. Uh, and go on and be productive. And do they did they ache and pain a little bit more after what happened to your Rangers this year? <laughs> yeah, thanks for reminding me. Well, <laughs> I got to get that out of the way right right off the bat. At least you're not wearing the Montreal Canadian jersey, which helps me a lot. Okay, uh, yeah, I, I, I saved you from that tonight. I got I'll, I'll explain this one in a little while. Yeah, uh, yeah, that was a letdown with the Rangers, the seventh game against New Jersey. You know, teams are really, they're they are fast, and the Rangers really didn't have a fast team at all. But mm -hmm. they do have a lot of stars, but that really doesn't matter unless you have that team chemistry to go along with it. You know, when you yeah. saw you saw Vegas and uh, and uh, Miami, uh, Florida in the finals, I think Florida just ran out of gas. They, yeah. they had a lot to do to be able to get to the finals. And uh, they were they were injured and banged up, I think, when the time they came around to Vegas. And Vegas got a big, strong, gritty team. And I think they just warmed down. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, uh, you know, before the playoffs started, I, I, I was one of the ones who didn't like the moves the Rangers made. I didn't think that much of a disruption in your top six going into the playoffs, bringing in two superstars. To me, it's a little too much. I could see maybe one of those guys and then bringing in a, a depth player or, or even a, a defenseman if needed. But what are your thoughts on that? Because uh, my thoughts were this is way too much of a room disruption. When you got two guys, you've got you've already got an established top six and a team that can score, and you can bring in two two superstars. Yeah, well, they had the last past two years they had had over a hundred point seasons. Yeah, so they've been production 
has been good during the regular season, but we know how much that means now. Yeah. I mean, heading into next year. Um, yeah. I think it's look at the look at the teams that were successful in the playoffs. I, I don't think there's too many fans that can name a lot of players on Vegas. You know, know. they don't have they don't have those big superstars. Although there's a lot of players that played like superstars in the finals, absolutely, and, and there because even getting through Dallas was pretty tough. Uh, yeah. You know, not not to say that they had a, a lighter road getting than than um, uh, Florida did. Just yeah. because getting past Boston, Toronto were I know were big I mean in itself and Carolina yeah. also, but yeah, I, I agree with you that the moves that the Rangers made, I don't think helped them. You can see that, and yeah. uh, I think they got to take a hard look at that and really look at those players uh, that are going to give you depth and grit, and uh, you got guys that can already score. So now you got to keep the goals down against and. Uh, and not have any injuries. Yeah, that's the key. And and I mean, you you said it. I'm the Florida Panthers took down three teams that were probably in the top five or six in Stanley Cup odds. I mean, Boston was one. Toronto, I think, was maybe three or four to win the cup, and Carolina wasn't far behind. So by the time they got to Vegas, like you said, a big tough team. They just ran out of gas. But overall, what were what were your what was your opinion on this year's playoffs? Well, I, I, you know, playoff season is a whole different, uh, a whole different season. So, it's mm-hmm. uh, that 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 first round. There's nothing like the first round where you get to watch, you know, four games at a time. I know, I love it. For hot for a hockey fan, it doesn't get any better than that. Yeah. And that first round is just a war of attrition. Yeah. I mean, they're just they're trying to hurt each other, and uh, they as the rounds go on, you you will find a groove that you get into because you can't play like that first round every round. Correct. You can yeah. you can get better, but the physicality of it, you start to pick your spots a little bit more. The game is still very physical, but that first round is uh yeah, it's guys get real pumped for that because you can change your whole season around. Yeah, and I mean at that point when you're fresh and especially like young and hungry teams, uh you know, I, yeah, like you see, yeah, it, you, you nailed it on the head. It's just, it's a different brand of hockey. And you, you, to do that for four rounds, and then you hear the stories afterwards of the injuries guys played through, broken ribs and broken ankles. And it's just, it's crazy to think. And I know you played through your fair share of injuries, and it's got to take a lot to take you out of the game in the playoffs. Yeah, I, I think most guys are going to play hurt during the playoffs. Yeah. I mean, if you're getting involved, you can't play outside the perimeter forever. You're no. going to have to get in front of the goalie. You're going to take a beating down low. And, uh, you know, that's what defensemen try to do to you, do to the forwards. They're going to try and try and hurt them, try and beat up on them physically. And, uh, yeah, if you can hang in there and, and you got to be smart about it too when there's contact. You know, you got to know how to absorb contact and how to be smart about it because. If you do happen to get by that first round, um, you know, it doesn't get any easier. No. Uh, but, but like I said, you do find that groove. And when, yeah. when they're playing every other night, I always look for those teams. They're going to be playing well. So if yeah. you get through the playoff round where the other team has got to wait, it's not good for you. You may get right. to mend injuries a little bit, but you're playing on adrenaline anyways. Yeah. So usually that time off, I think, hurts you more than helps you. 
Yeah, it often seems to. And uh, yeah, it was the case this year. Um, so yeah, the playoffs, I mean, every time, every year there's a Cinderella story. Every year there's a team that sneaks into the playoffs like Florida did this year. And, you know, once they start to believe, once they got through that first round and they actually started believing and then Bobrovsky just went on an absolute heater. I mean, he was on fire. Um, yeah, I thought the playoffs overall, I mean, a lot of people complain when there's no Canadian team or no original six team. I think that's garbage. I mean, every team deserves to be there. Uh, and if you want to look at their rosters, I think Vegas had 16 Canadian players on their roster. So look no further than that. The game's in a great place when the Florida Panthers and the Vegas Golden Knights are playing each other in the Stanley Cup final. Yeah, I don't think too many people could have said that uh, 10 years ago. No. that uh, this was going to be the look of the league. But I also think you said something very important, and that's about a confident hockey player. Yeah, I mean, a, a confident hockey player goes a long way. And uh, that just confidence builds around the team, and they latch onto that, and they ride that wave. Yeah. It's fun to watch. I mean, you, you see so many guys performing over, over their heads, and uh, it happens every year, and that's part of the reason why we love the game so much, Barry. Yeah, well, that's sorry, yeah, Chris, but that's no. You, know, um, you get me going when you start talking about the game. You know, I know we don't have. There's no time limit. Don't worry. There's, um, you know, a lot of guys can make up for a lost season during the playoffs. Yeah, you just you just got to get into the playoffs. So now I think fans. I don't know if this is gonna. I hope it helps the game, but they're gonna think about you know the next team next year who wins the Presidents Cup. They're going to be waiting to see what's going to happen. Mm -hmm. um, sure, this might have been a one-off with Miami, and uh, I keep calling them Miami. I'm sorry. That's with, right. Florida, Florida. Yeah. with Florida and Boston, uh, because Boston was just such a superior team throughout the whole year, and you know I don't think too many people had picked picked that series. No, that was a back a bracket buster for sure. Yeah, <laughs> I don't think anyone had that picked. Out of all the out of all the uh, pools that I was in, I don't think anyone had Florida going past the first round. Uh, so yeah, all in all, great playoffs, and uh, it'll be exciting to see. Uh, there's been a it's been a real buzz the last few days with free agency. Um, I don't know if you had to deal with that all too much, uh, Barry. The free agency frenzy on TSN. Yeah, no, no. <laughs> there was no. Well, actually, it was just starting to come around. Um, you know, they had, uh, uh, what, during the draft, they had a few underage players that went to the WHA when yeah. I, I was drafted in 77, some younger players. And, uh, yeah, but there wasn't any free agency. You, the only way that you moved was the, if you got traded. Um, and that's why, you know, the Islanders were such a powerful team in the early 80s because there was no player movement they right. had those they had those strong teams and they just had to wait till their time was done yeah. and then a new team new team had come along right. but i think it's going to be pretty tough to see uh to see teams uh, uh do that nowadays with how many players are moving around you can't blame the players for how much money that they make i yeah. mean uh, the owners are the one that that go behind each other's back and um and sign guys and the players know that they only have a certain window to make that money and uh so yeah but it's always interesting to see the player movement yeah and how 
the faces of the the game changed so much. You know, I keep going back to when I was playing, but you know, when I first came in, there wasn't a lot of guys even wearing helmets then. <laughs> right. So fans could really identify with players. And even when I was growing up, you know, all we had was was hockey cards and the one game a week on hockey night in Canada, which was either Toronto or Montreal. Yeah. And it was usually the people in the West were the, the Toronto fans and and then you had of course your your Quebec province, which was always uh, yeah. always uh, Montreal and uh, uh but yeah, our household was was all Toronto Maple Leaf fans. Yeah, so for those of you who haven't listened to the first interview with Barry, as I said earlier, it was episode uh, Hockey Talks Volume 22. It aired on July um, 17th, 2020. It's a real in-depth uh, history of Barry's career. Um, it's a, it's worth going back to listen. Uh, he's a six-year six captain of the New York Rangers, played over 600 games in the NHL. Just an absolute threat on the ice uh, in all areas. Uh, had a fantastic career. So if you'd like to uh, go back and listen to that, um, please do so. And uh, Barry, so just after that podcast, um, unfortunately, uh, your life changed uh, very quickly after that due to uh, the loss of your son. And we're wearing these shirts, as you can see, it says Brock and Mark. And this foundation has been established in memory of Brock and Mark. And I'd like for you to uh, to uh, tell us if I don't know how you put it into words, uh, or just tell us maybe um, just tell us what happened. Yeah, well, my my son had sort of found his direction in life and and was attending university in Nova Scotia, and he was going there for mental health and recovery. And he had finished his first two years. He had come back to Benbrook, Ontario, uh, to spend the summer before going back to school again. And uh, was involved in a road rage incident where a group of young men followed him and his friend back to the house party that he was attending. And as they got out of the car, there was a fight that ensued and my son was stabbed to death. And uh, so we went through that. That was, of course, I don't want to say it's even shocking because it was, it was beyond that. And uh, when you lose a child in that way, I mean, when you lose a child at all, but when you lose a child to such uh, such a senseless act, uh, yeah, it was was tough uh, for our families to go through, and uh, you know every day is tough. Yeah. And so fr from that, um, you know, it took four months before uh, the assailants were found, and uh, we went through the court case, <clears throat> and uh, there to me there was just no justice when somebody is handed a three and a half year sentence yeah. at a at a plea bargain for a manslaughter uh just because there was a lack of evidence uh you know there there should have been more cameras throughout Binbrook that that caught what was going on but I get into that in the book that I write yeah uh, called the cell which talks about my son's murder and it also talks about the subsequent uh suicide of Mark Pavlich which happened months after after my son's murder hmm. and uh so yeah i go through that the book is called the cell uh c-e-l-l -L, because when these events happened to me i was sort of thrust into this this cell of trauma and i had to like any prisoner who was incarcerated um you you try and find a way out all the time 
And that's what I had to learn to do. Now, there was a lot of struggles. In the meantime, I, I became addicted to sleeping pills. And I had, to, I had to go through that. And I went through a, a rehab for that. And uh, I was in therapy. And uh, so I, I got a lot out of that. And I highly recommend for people that are, are going through any type of trauma to, to have a therapist help you and be able to talk about it. It's one thing be able to talk about it with your friends. Uh, which is which is very helpful, and for you to be open and talk about it is is a great thing for you to be able to do. It takes a lot of courage to be able to do that, mm-hmm. and uh, that's another reason why I wrote the book. Is I thought maybe what has happened to me can help somebody else with what they're dealing with. I'd never heard of anybody uh, being addicted to sleeping pills before. When I was in rehab, I was the only person out of 120 people. So I kept telling my counselor, I'm not supposed to be here. Right. You know, I would have a heroin addict beside me, alcoholic, uh, meth head, crackhead. And I kept saying, I got a sleeping disorder. I should be in like a sleeping hospital. Right. But the withdrawals that I went through when I wasn't using the sleeping pills were so heavy and so bad. I was in so much body pain that this sort of just reaffirmed to me that, yeah, I needed to get help. I tried to stop seven or eight times myself. I would go a week without sleeping, and right. that's as far that's as far as I could go. So, so yeah, when I was back in New York in September of last year, I ran out of sleeping pills, and they're easy to get here in Hong Kong, and, and it is yeah. quite a problem. It is quite a problem for especially foreign men uh, working in Southeast Asia. If you put in long hours, you have to get up the next day. Mm-hmm. and do it all over again you don't sleep properly you try a couple of sleeping pills it works and then uh, your body becomes accustomed to it mm-hmm. and you just start using more and that's what happened to me when we're not talking about hockey on across the pond we're usually listening to music and after the number of hours our headphones spend on our sweaty ear holes they usually need a little bit of tlc luckily our buddy brandon from accessory house global is there to help if you're in need of replacement cables, ear pads, or heck, even a brand new carrying case, this is the one-stop shop you need to visit. Check them out on Instagram at TheRealAHG or visit their website at AccessoryHouseGlobal.com. You can even get a 20% discount on your first purchase by typing in ATP20. Tell them across the pond sent ya. Yeah, so it was interesting um, the story of how you actually got in, into rehab and who who started that for you uh, in New York. Was that what you were going to get to? Yeah, well, I'd been to a golf tournament and I was guest speaking. Uh, well, with the Rangers alumni, I did a presentation about uh, really about Mark Pavlich and, and the ranch, which is located in Minnesota, which will be the opening day will be pretty quick here in a few days. Oh, and Teammates for Life, which is another foundation that I was able to help and be involved in. It's pretty hard for me to be involved being in Hong Kong. But mm-hmm. uh, former players, uh, Tom Gorns from the Flyers and Clint Malarchuk, uh, mainly from Buffalo, as uh, they put in a lot of work. And, uh, and of course, Mark's sister, Jean, and a lot of others. There's a great team that has been put in place. And uh, we're trying to help. We're trying to help former players and get the help that they need because the NHL alumni just doesn't have 
the amount of social workers that it takes to be able to help former players. And there's a lot, especially around my age, that need help. There certainly are. And um, you mentioned the word courage earlier, and I just wanted to go back to that because, um, as I said to you, um, you the, the courage and strength that you've shown throughout this whole process and what you've shared through social media is really, really inspiring. And I want to thank you for being so open and honest about that because it really, truly is helpful. Yeah. Th thank you, Chris. Uh, you know, writing or the posts I make on Facebook, I mean, uh, you know, sometimes it may be a humorous story or yeah. other times I, you know, I try to send a message uh, when I write somehow, as, mm -hmm. as I said earlier, hopefully maybe it touches somebody and it helps somebody. Uh, so they will either reach out to get the help that they need or at least be able to talk about it. And can you go back how long did it take you, um, be, you know, after your son was murdered and, you know, you, I'm, I'm sure you can't even describe the feelings that were going through your mind and have the things that you had to deal with and go through. How long did it take you before you were able to kind of reach out and, and get some help? And what was the first step? Like, how could people uh, learn from that? Yeah, I think, well, the first time was really when I knew that I needed to get help for my addiction uh, was was really the time. But it took time after that. Yeah. And, um, you know, I got to be honest with you, the four young men that were involved, I wanted to kill them all. Yeah, I'm sure and you did. I mean, I everyone did, would. I did a lot of I did a lot of research and had friends research them, their families, where their families worked, where they lived. And, uh, yeah, I had some bad thoughts going through my mind and I still do at times. Mm -hmm. I, I still do. Um you know, people have told me, well, God will handle it. Karma will handle it. Well, I've always thought, just let Barry handle it. Yeah, that's and, how you've dealt with the things throughout your life, I'm sure. Not, not to talk about me as the third person, excuse me, but yeah, yeah. I, myself, uh, um, you know, because it was my son. I have some thoughts going through my head when he was stabbed. Well, you know, he bled out less than a minute Uh, uh an artery artery was severed in his stomach. What was he thinking? Or did he even have time to think that last minute? I know he would, would have been in shock. Mm -hmm. um, but, you know, I, I felt a lot of guilt because I wasn't there. And I have been in Hong Kong for 16 years. And uh, But, you know, we had as close relationship as possible. Mm -hmm. he, uh, and like I said, he had finally found his way. Yeah. And... Um, so I was very proud of him. Being a father was was probably the best thing I've ever done in my life. Yeah, you're a great one too. Thank you for that. Um, and I remember um, when you were telling me, because we connected through the Nova Scotia thing, when I told you I was from Nova Scotia, you right away, just right. Big, smile, big smile on your face. You're like, no way. Like my son is there right now. He's driving through Nova Scotia. Or he's going back for summer holidays. It was like right around that time. Um, so yeah. Um, so you managed to, uh, you know, I, I'm not, not to get through it, but getting through that, and then a few, just a few months later, um, your good friend Mark Pavlik 
um, who was struggling with addiction and and uh, mental health issues. And, you know, you were very candid sharing his story as well. Um, and then he, you lose him. Um, what's going through your mind at this point? Yeah, well, I tell you, when I when I got the call on my son, my, my brother was the one who called me. And when he called me, I knew by the sound of his voice that something had happened. He didn't get to it right away, but I thought I thought it might have been my mother. And uh, my mother's still alive at 96. God bless her. Yeah. And um, but when I got the call for Mark Pavlich, it was Clint Malarchuk, and it was the exact same tone that my brother had. So when he called me, I thought, oh, what's happened? And uh, and yeah, you know, Mark had. You know, we think he had CTE. Yeah. And, uh, uh, you know, that is a degenerative brain disease where the shrinkage of the brain and that they've been, done a lot of studies on it. There was a big lawsuit in the NHL, but nothing came of it. Yeah. Uh, I settled for $18 million. Uh, uh, that was a settlement, but really that was nothing compared to the millions of millions of dollars that the NFL received in former players with free medical. And, uh, you know, so, and with Mark, Mark had gotten into some trouble and had been incarcerated. And then they moved him to a psychiatric facility in Minnesota. And that's where he spent over a year. And I had tried to talk to him as often as possible. Yeah. Started every other day than it was maybe every three days. And so we developed a rapport and I was very close with him. And then we managed our, I should say, Clint Malarchuk, excuse me, and Jean, Mark's sister, did a lot of work to get Mark out of there and into the he Eagles Healing Nest, yeah, which is a place for veterans in Sulk Center, Minnesota. And uh, that's, of course, where the ranch will be is uh is right there and they help a lot of veterans and we got mark there and then we thought he was in a good place and i zoomed with him two days before his before his suicide and uh you know he was he was a fragile individual yeah and and i knew that when he was in the psychiatric facility you know he had explained to me that he wasn't going to do that. He had a court case coming up and I didn't think, or rather he thought that that wasn't going to go very well. And that might've ha had something to do with his decision to end his life. Um, I mean, I, I think he was sick and uh, a lot of people might not mm -hmm. have known. That. You know, he was, a, Mark was a, a tough guy to get to know. Uh, but if you took the time to get to know him, there was a, a special individual there and uh, you know he was you know he played on that 1980 u.s olympic team mm -hmm. and he was instrumental in mikey ruzioni's final goal against russia yeah and the win goal on the fourth goal he assisted on the goal and he was a catalyst for that team uh, but he was never one for the limelight he just right. uh, won he just loved playing hockey as he did on the ponds of minnesota when he was growing up yeah, went to the University Minnesota Duluth, and uh, and then he went on to play for the Rangers. And he was such a creative, great player. 
for us, yeah, was was sad. I can only imagine. I mean, um, yeah. Anytime you lose someone to suicide, there's always so many thoughts that go through your head and, you know, so many regrets and things you should have, could have, would have done. And yeah, I think it's, it's always, it's hard to very, deal with. Yeah. It's very confusing for people. It is. It really, really is. Yeah. yeah. So um, I'm sure you go into both of these stories in great depth in your book, Barry. Um, tell us a little bit about that. As, as we, as you might've mentioned, uh, you were not a writer, but this became a tool for you. And, and as I followed your journey, I noticed that, um, you know, yeah, I'll just let you tell it. Tell me a little bit about that process of writing. Well, you won't have to Google any of my words. I can <laughs> assure you that. Um, as I said earlier, I started writing because it was therapeutic for me. I, I needed to, you know, sort of kept the journal and put my thoughts down of what was happening. Yeah. And when my son was murdered, the police couldn't give us a lot of information because it was an ongoing investigation. Right. But I was, I was there, I was there in Binbrook, Ontario, about 20 minutes from Hamilton in Southern Ontario. And I got to know that town and I got a good feel for things. So I started the right, I started mm. the right. I tried to contact as many people as I could from the mayor to Ham uh, Hamilton uh, to MPs in the area. I knocked on doors and I think I did what any father would do was just try to get the answers. Right. Now, when I was back there, this was during the height of COVID. That's right. So I, I couldn't attend the funeral or the, or the viewing. I had to watch, uh, watch the service yeah. uh, on the internet and watch the video of it. Um, but you know, our families were devastated and it was like, how do we come back from that? Yeah. And how do we, how do we make something of our lives first by honoring my son? Uh, and I think that's what a lot of parents do who have lost children. Mm -hmm. They try and honor their child in a way to keep their memory going. Yeah. And that definitely helps. Uh, yeah. You don't have, you don't have to start a foundation to be able to do that. No. You know, you just have when, to. When you first started writing, was there any thoughts in your head that this is someday going to be a book or was it more like a release? Well, and I, It was more, as I said, therapeutic to begin with. Yeah. yeah. But then when I started putting it together. I just thought that, that this could help, help somebody. Mm -hmm. And that was the whole, whole point of really doing it was Maybe there's somebody out there that will read this, that will get help. Maybe, maybe it can change their life and maybe in turn, they'll help somebody else. Mm -hmm. And so that's, that's the way that I looked at it. And <clears throat> I have my own writing style, I guess. Mm -hmm. You know, I met, I met a writer here in Hong Kong and, uh, you know, he really, I gave him a copy of the book to write or excuse me to read. Mm -hmm. And he really, he really loved it. And had a lot of great things to say about it because in the book i play a lot of different characters okay. um and i i do the same when i tell hockey stories because some of those stories are from 35 years ago where i have to remember what i think the exact conversations are right so i i have to play different roles i have to to play the one asking the question and the one answering the question right yeah and uh when i try and write Try and put the reader right beside me so that they're involved in the story 
and they want to read more and they're engaged and and that's that's my style of writing Wheelhub Asia is committed to building community and bringing accessibility to inline hockey players in Southeast Asia. They've just started a new program called Three Inline, which is Hong Kong's first three-on-three inline hockey league. Wheelhub Asia stands for professionalism and collaboration. For inline hockey players, by inline hockey players. For all your inline hockey needs, head to their website at wheelhubasia.com. I can't wait to read it. So when can we find it and how's that process going? Yeah, it's been it's been a while. Yeah. Uh, you know, getting a book published is not as easy as I thought. Yeah. And, uh, I thought, excuse me, I thought it would have been done by now. I just have to be patient because it's being worked on. I don't mean the book's being worked on. The book is finished. It's not perfect by any means and never will be, but I think that everybody knows that there is nothing perfect to begin with. Mm-hmm. And uh, so keep my fingers crossed. I'm hoping soon because I hope, hope that not only will that, that, uh, that help somebody, but also, you know, not to, well, I hope it continues to help me. Yeah, I'm sure. That, I'm sure that, it will. I mean, I, I want to keep on writing mm-hmm. and if, uh, if there's a good response from, from my book, then I'll, I already have most material ready for a second book to go. And I have ideas for a third and fourth book. So yeah, I, I sort of wow. maybe can't use my body as much as I, I could, but my mind's still okay. Your mind is still there. My, that's for sure. I know the boys, the boys are true. The boys at Trivia Night said that your mind is still there. So, Damn, just thinking about that Trivia Night, I, I got to say thank you very much for inviting me. Yeah, and, that was a fun night. You know, I was pretty nervous going in there. I thought, <laughs> I, don't, I don't know any of these questions. What are these guys going to think about me? Yeah, I'm sure. Um, but with the team I was on with Andrew Work and Mike Lamb, yeah. we managed to, uh, between the three of us, uh, come on strong in the third period, I guess you could say. Yeah, you guys, it was a great night all around. Um, So Barry, you don't know the exact date for the book, but folks, I will definitely um, share it. Um, As soon as it comes out, we'll spread it out on social media. And in the meantime, fallenstars.org, we'll put the link in the description on the YouTube page and on our social media pages. These guys have great, I mean, if there's ever a foundation that you know, needs needs some help and um, could help a lot of people in the world. This is the one, uh, the Brock and Mark Foundation of FallenStars.org. Some of they've got great gear. Check out this shirt. You know, it says um, res- uh, "Respect Mental Health" uh, down the side. Um, great hats like this one, uh, and all kinds of other great stuff uh, on the website. Again, it's FallenStars.org. Uh, Barry, any any last words about the book or anything else that's going on in your life? Yeah, I didn't get a chance really to talk about Fallen Stars too much, but yeah, these are our our, our the ranch teammates for life. It's it's yes. for Mark Elvich and and Fallen Stars is for my son and Mark together, and really it's uh, it's trying to help youth here in Hong Kong. You know, there's a high suicide rate for young men in Hong Kong. Uh, there's a lot of pressure on kids here to do well academically. 
And um, so I know with COVID, Hong Kong took a while to come out of COVID. And I really haven't been able to do the amount of work that I've wanted to. Um, but I plan on getting more involved here. And, and really, those two foundations are very important to me. And I'm, I'm very proud of all the work that, that people who have come along to help me and be involved. And uh, yeah, they're, they're very special to my heart. Yeah, I couldn't have said it any better. You got a great team around you, a lot of people who care. And uh, so there you have it, folks. Barry Beck didn't just bring ice hockey to Hong Kong. He's he's given back to the community uh, still to this day, even though it's not in the ice hockey world. And I think it's something, like you said, it's really important uh, that we listen and we talk and we keep open about these things because there's a lot of people going through things that you don't necessarily see. True, true, Chris. So, Barry, look, I, I really appreciate you taking the time to talk to me. Continue being open and honest with us. We can learn from you. You're an inspiration, and I wish you nothing but the best. Yeah, thank you. Look forward to talking to you again, Chris. All right. That was Across the Pond, and that's a wrap. Thank you, thank you, thank you to our amazing sponsors, the China Hockey Group, Wheel Hub Asia, AccessoryHouseGlobal.com, Yardley Brothers Beer, and of course, Sunset Studio. Check us out on Facebook and Instagram at Across the Pond HK. Email us, send in your comments and questions to the show at any time at Across the Pond HK at gmail.com.